Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. <laughs> Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. It's 7.06. So Wednesday, 6 o'clock face-off show, 8.30 puck drop, Oilers at Ducks. Same times on Friday. And then on Sunday, we got an Oilers home game, 5 o'clock for the start of that game. So we'll have the face-off show at 3. So we go from a couple late games to a uh, late afternoon, early evening game here on 6.30. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you for tuning in tonight. The Oilers will practice and then fly tomorrow. Oscar Kleffbaum not on the ice today. He is expected to be able to play in Game 1 on Wednesday. Obviously, he was uh, sick in the third period and didn't play in the third period on Saturday. No hockey tonight. The Raptors are beating Milwaukee 92-78 with 9.5 minutes left. That series currently tied at 2, so Toronto in a good position to go ahead. The Blue Jays play at the Angels a little bit later on. So uh, Chris said he and his wife are going to be in New York right away here while the Oilers are playing in the second round. And he said, can anybody recommend places to watch hockey in Midtown Manhattan? So a few people texted in. I'll just read a few here. Somebody just wrote in Hooters with an exclamation mark. (laughs) Uh, Somebody said, what about the ESPN zone in Times Square? That'd probably be a safe bet. The Big L says, Reed, I was in Manhattan during the playoffs in 2007, found a pub in the Washington Square Soho area that played all the hockey games, but I don't remember the name, and I'm not sure if it's still there, but trying to help. Now, this one might be interesting. This texture says that Chris should check out the Flying Puck, 364 7th Avenue. If you want to watch a game in Manhattan, I believe that is right near Madison Square Garden. Yes, I found the website, theflyingpuck.com, just half a block from Madison Square Garden. So it's a hockey bar uh, right by MSG. So, Chris, I would imagine that's probably a pretty good bet. If they got puck in the title, I would hope they're showing all the playoff games, whether it's a Canadian team uh, or not. So there you go. 780-496-0063 780-496-0063 is our phone number. You can text 630-630. Hey, the producer of the show, Dave Campbell, is hanging around. Dave, how are you doing? Really well, Reed. How are you doing? I'm doing good, buddy. Enjoying some Oilers playoff hockey here, my young friend? I am. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. A lot of late nights, as you know. Been later nights for you uh, than it is for me. But it's just been fun to see the enthusiasm, the excitement level, and just the way the team has played. And the way they're able to control games. That's what impresses me the most. But uh, they belong. This is not a fluke. This is not, oh, who are these guys? They don't belong here, but they're they're making things happen. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to a great series with the Anaheim Ducks and uh, a little bit more free willing, I think, too. 
Uh, yeah, I'm curious to see what it's going to be like. I, I think it'll be. I think there'll be more body contact. I think it could be a meaner series. But mm-hmm. I, I do. I do understand what you're saying about the Oilers being able to control games for longer stretches. I mean, it's never it's never perfect. I expected it to get a little hairy late in Game Six. That's just what mm-hmm. happens when one team's on the brink of being eliminated. But mm-hmm. I I don't I know they they are a, a younger team without a lot of playoff experience. But I also don't buy the oh they're just a bunch of kids that don't know what they're doing. They no. just like I, I do think they know the game plan. I do think they trust their coach. I do think they trust each other. Did the experience help the Sharks at some points in that series? Yes, it did. But ultimately, they didn't. I mean, if it just always came down to experience, the oldest team in the league would win the Stanley Cup all the well, time until those players retired, and then somebody else was the oldest. And Peter DeBoer said after the game, my team ran out of gas in the last month. And it was clearly evident. And the Oilers didn't score a lot of goals. They scored, I think, 12 total, although I only count 11 because one is into an empty net. But, you know... Five on five, the Oilers were the more dominant team because they were able to pressure. They were able to control the game, control the game in their own end. Even at times when they were, you know, a little scrambly, Cam Talbot, who to me was the best player on the ice for all six games minus game four, but he was a series MVP if they, you know, hand out that sort of thing. But uh, In baseball, they give on every series. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but to me, what's most important, Reed, what I'm seeing, and I'm sure you're seeing it as well, belief system. They have a high belief system. They believe that they are here because they belong here and that they can win, win another round and go on to the Final Four. All right, you're going to be uh, at Commonwealth Stadium tomorrow. Big announcement for the Edmonton Eskimos, 2 p.m. As the story started to break on the weekend, and the Eskimos confirmed it today, Brock Sunderland is the team's new general manager coming over from the Ottawa Redback, Red Blacks, where he was the assistant general manager. Uh, what do we know about this I, I I am going to call him a relatively young man. He's younger than he's younger than you and me. I know, thirty seven <laughs> years old. And here's his resume: three years in scouting with the Montreal Alouettes, and by the end of his tenure, he was the director of scouting for the Alouettes. He spent six seasons in the National Football League as a pro scout for the New York Jets. In 2013, was named assistant general manager to the general manager Marcel Desjardins. And we know the 2014 year wasn't a good year for them. They finished uh, two and sixteen, but we know. 2015 was pretty good, falling uh, short in the Grey Cup game to the Edmonton Eskimos, and then they won the whole thing with a major upset over the Calgary Stampeders. So uh, someone that was probably the best candidate out there um, at a time of the season where you don't really talk about who's going to be the next GM of whatever CFL team it is, because normally you don't have vacancies at the GM spot, but Len Rhodes, the president and CEO, created one because he let Ed Hervey go as GM and vice president of football operations, and Brock Sunderland will take over those roles uh, effective immediately. So he was the best candidate out there, and you got to give credit to the Ottawa Red Blacks, too, for allowing... Uh, the Eskimo or granting the Eskimos permission because at this point in the season, and most of the work is done, mm-hmm. but there's a draft coming up as well on May the seventh, and uh, you know he's probably got some intel on the Ottawa Red Blacks, although I'm sure he's not going to abuse that intel. But the fact that the that the Red Blacks were you know they granted the Eskimos permission is is very impressive, and it's harder to do it at this point in the season because you got to get the league office involved and. Uh, 
you know, give kudos to the riders as well. I mean, they gave the Eskimos permission to talk to Jeremy O'Day. So, you know, I, I was pretty impressed with that. So uh, a good hire, I think, on the surface. We'll see what he does. Well, it is interesting, the the relationship, because it, just over a year ago, we had so many teams mad at each other and fan bases mad at each other about all the all the tampering stuff or, <laughs> or compensation for guys leaving and all that kind of stuff. And I, I even thought, should not the Eskimos get something from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for an entire coaching staff? But it, but it is nice that this was happened pretty civilly, at least pu- publicly anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I guess maybe for the Red Blacks, are they sitting there thinking, okay, we lose them now or we lose them December 1st when, when the Eskimos are still looking for a general manager? Well, so exactly. why, why hold them back? And, and Sunderland has been in the running for a couple of GM positions around the league for the last couple of seasons. So eventually he's going to land somewhere because if he's that highly thought of and has a couple of interviews over the last two seasons, it's going to happen eventually. And um, there's a natural fit with him and Jason Moss because they worked together in 2015. Uh, Jason Moss is going to be a huge resource for Brock Sunderland because no one knows the roster better than you know Jason Moss right now so it's going to be a good learning year for Brock Sunderland as well and um, someone that had you know is going to learn a lot about his football team does he make a major move at some point during the season you'll see a lot of major moves anyway but it, it gives him a chance to kind of see what his team is all about and then in 2018 that's when I think he's going to put his stamp on the team but um, and you talk about the compensation and the you know the tampering and that sort of thing I mean back when Chris Jones left the Eskimos for the Riders, there was nothing formally about compensation. Mm-hmm. Right. Now there is. You have to ask up front. And the, and the Red Blacks caused a stir when the Eskimos asked for permission to talk to Jason Moss to become their head coach, which happened. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, Jim Hunt, the, uh, the uh, owner of the Red Blacks, uh, all of a sudden said, I want compensation now. Right. Well, you you can't really do that when <laughs> in, up front you said you, you can you can talk to him. Uh, now it has to be the request has to be made right up front. So there is compensation to this, and the compensation is the Eskimos will have to pay the Red Blacks fifty percent of what Brock Sunderland's salary would have been if he stayed with the Red Blacks in twenty seventeen. Okay. So that is the uh, the uh, compensation. So a little expensive, but I think. For the long term, the Eskimos hope this is going to pay off. The Eskimos roster is set. I mean, I said the day Ed Hervey was fired that regardless of what the Eskimos did, whether they left Paul Jones as an interim or hired somebody, this is Ed Hervey's team, I think, mm-hmm. especially through the first third of the season. Maybe Sunderland will will tinker, obviously, as he goes along. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think... The Eskimos didn't want to wait. That they didn't. That you know they could have said, "Okay, Paul Jones, you're experienced enough, even if you're not in Edmonton all the time, to be an interim GM." Why do you Why do you think they wanted to have someone in place yeah, ASAP? I'm a little surprised that they decided to fill it so quickly because it's an odd time of the year to to fill a GM's role. I mean, it's an odd. Like I said earlier, it's just odd to have a hole in your GM spot at this point in the season. Every, every team is set at this point, but uh, you know, I think it. It creates stability. It has clarity to it. And instead of having this issue hang over the team for six months, you know, you resolve it. And the fact that they were able to get permission from the Red Blacks to talk to, you know, the guy that they wanted ultimately, uh, why not? Go for it, right? So, uh, you know, they. I think it just creates clarity and the questions won't be asked 
you know, throughout the season. And, and plus, you know, really the head coach would have become the de facto GM or, mm-hmm. the, or right. the de facto guy to ask or to answer all the GM questions, and that's not fair to Jason Moss. So I think it just creates stability and clarity. Dave, going to be fun. Have uh, Look forward to seeing your, or hearing your coverage from the press conference tomorrow. Looking forward to bringing it to uh, 6.30 Chad and uh, our 6.30 Chad listeners and can't wait for game one on Wednesday in Anaheim. Great stuff, Dave. Dave is the producer of Inside Sports, our Eskimos analyst for our broadcast here on 6.30 Chad. Two o'clock live coverage tomorrow from Commonwealth Stadium. Brock Sunderland introduced as the new Eskimos general manager. Somebody texted in earlier saying, uh, hey, Reed." You think Ed Hervey will be back in the CFL? I don't know. That is a good question. I mean, his only work in the CFL had been as an Eskimo when he joined the team as a receiver in 1999. Um, Would he eventually go back into a scouting role or something like that? We'll see. I mean, I remember the day he uh, was fired, somebody called in and said, well, Chris Jones is going to snap up Ed Hervey and bring him to Saskatchewan. I don't see that happening for a second. Uh, I don't think, uh, I think it was uh, fine professionally between those two guys. But also, I mean, you know, Chris Jones could have stayed and coached. So read whatever you want into that. We had the mention earlier that Joe Thornton from the San Jose Sharks playing with a torn MCL and ACL. This texture says, hey, Reed, I tore my ACL last December. I played all winter. In a rec hockey league, I didn't even know it was torn until I got an MRI in January. <laughs> Joe is a tough SOB either way. That's a text to 630-630. You can text yourself. You can phone 780-496-0063. couple of more comments from Oilers head coach Todd McClellan as we roll along. And six-time Stanley Cup champion Hall of Famer Brian Trotche. All coming up. Hey, this is Jordan Eberle from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. The shot was blocked and the Oilers have a breakaway. It's Leon, drive settle down the middle, re-shot, score! Five hole on Martin Jones and Leon Dreisaitl's first goal of the postseason makes it one nothing Edmonton in game six. Out to Paul Martin, drop the puck and here's Slepeshev with a breakaway to make it 2 nothing. Slepeshev fires and scores! Anton Slepeshev puts the Oilers up by a deuce in game six. One-timer score and the Sharks are right back in it. Patrick Marlowe set up by Coacher, point blank, Talbot, no chance. And there's still life in San Jose. Russell to Sekra, banked off the glass, center ice, 10 seconds to go. Pavelski rushes in right side, tied up. The Oilers nudge it back to center. McDavid backhands it toward the empty net and scores! One second to play, and the Edmonton Oilers are on to round two. That's how it went down Saturday night in San Jose. Some Jack Michaels play-by-play. Kevin texting into 630-630 saying, I hope you guys have a good health plan because I believe Jack will need a lot of heart meds for each game. Great job to all of you. That is from Kevin. Got to tell you, I enjoy listening to Jack Michaels. He's a great guy to work with. Glad he's uh, getting some much-deserved accolades here as the Oilers continue their playoff drive. You know, Todd McClellan made a comment about playing with house money after beating San Jose. He was uh, asked to clarify that today. I was the one that made that comment about house money, and uh, 
And you know what? Probably wasn't a, a real accurate comment at, the, at that time. Um, but every series has a favorite and a uh, an underdog. And um, you know, last series I think we went in fairly even, at least based on the the pundits. I, I think we're coming in as the underdog, um, especially due to home ice, and and that's fine by us. Um, we're not uh, we're not just happy to be here. I think is the message that the players are. Uh, are sharing with you. We're not just playing because the, the games are scheduled. We're playing to win. And uh, the harder we play, the more we play, the better we're going to be for it down the road. Um, but right now is important to this group as well. Well, I think that's a good way to put it. And playing with house money, I mean, I know what he meant, but but not entirely accurate. And and the Oilers aren't just happy to be there. I, I think they recognize an opportunity. Okay, maybe a lot of guys haven't been through it. They certainly haven't been through it with, with this group of players. But I don't get the sense that it, the season has been good enough. I, I don't get that. And look, if it would have been that way, I think we have already would have seen it against San Jose. I think if the Oilers would have felt that they did enough by being the team that ended the playoff drought, they would have packed it in after they lost 7 nothing to San Jose. Instead, they came back and win the next two games. And, like, literally coming back in game, game 5 from a 3-1 deficit. So I don't think there's the sense of, oh, we went from 29th to 8th. What else are we supposed to do? No, I think they're like, what, why? I, I do think they have a why-not-us attitude. And, and you look at how the, the conference is now. I mean, Chicago's a very good team. They're out. Minnesota's a very good team. They're out. Yeah, Anaheim's a very good team. The Oilers also beat them three out of five times this season. So, yeah, I mean, I understand what he, he was saying by the playing with house money comment, but he didn't mean it literally. Uh, I, I mean, it's not just... This isn't just bonus time, and if they lose four straight, they'll still go home happy for the supper. No, I think it's a very driven and focused team. It's going to be a fun series against the Ducks. We'll have a little playoff chat with Brian Troche, Hockey Hall of Famer, who was uh, in the Edmonton area over the weekend. He'll tell us why. We'll keep you updated on the scoreboard as well. Keep the text coming to 630-630. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. Well, we were profiling the news earlier in the show. You can get that story on 630ched.com. Tons of Oilers stuff there. Obviously, we don't just have the game stories or stories about players. We got lots of fan reaction videos from fans celebrating downtown around Rogers Place and Ice District. What else did we do, Kellen? We did the story on the fans who drove down to San Jose, 27 hours to go to a game. Yeah, that was last week, yep. We did, uh, I had something else on the tip of my tongue that I now, uh, oh, and if you go on the Oilers page on 63Ched.com, I mean, a lot of people have been enjoying Jack's calls. Kellen edits all the games down into what like usually about four to five minutes yeah three to four minutes like you take all the you take all the goals and the big saves or sometimes a fight and you edit those all all the omg moments right right yeah you edit them all together and then you put them on the website absolutely and sometimes we we tweet those out but you can always get them on the oilers page on 630ched.com uh, Sabrina texting in. She says, I don't know what I'm more excited to hear because uh, all I have is a radio, Jack Michaels, or the game, LOL. 
Okay, yeah, Jack's calling the game. Doing Jack a great is job. the game. Here's a, here, I'm gonna say this, and I, and I don't, I, I don't know how interested people are in this, so I don't, I won't spend a long time with it because I know they want to talk about the Oilers, and we got a Hall of Famer coming up in about three or four minutes. Here, Brian Trotche is going to hop on the line. I've been around Jack, uh, you know, a lot over the last four years, especially, and I really appreciate the preparation he does and his professionalism. I mean, you, you, you as fans and listeners hear him call the game, do the play-by-play, and clearly the content of what he's saying is more appealing to you now that he's calling more Oilers wins, but he has always been prepared and professional. And uh, I've, I've, uh, you know, Jack and I are both the same age, but I've learned a lot from Jack from seeing how he uh, conducts himself every day and everything he does into his job behind the scenes. So anyway, I just wanted to give him a shout out for that. Agreed. This texture says, uh, "Hey, Reed, just wondering if you've seen the video of San Jose fans dumping popcorn over the bench." Or the video of Peter DeBoer elbowing the glass behind the bench looked like it was clearly directed at the uh, Oiler fan who was sitting behind the bench. Uh, I did see those videos, and I'm not going to make it too much of a big deal about them. Uh, I mean, because I, I, I don't want to sit there and say, oh, that's San Jose fans, or oh, that's American hockey fans. Because unfortunately, every fan base, especially in the heat of the moment, you will have fans who do things that are kind of silly. And they have. It has happened here in Edmonton. It has happened elsewhere. So I don't like doing that. And I and I will say, Kellen, you know, sometimes I will poke a little bit of fun at Ryder's fans. But I hope it's understood. I'm not doing that maliciously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just adding a little fuel to the rivalry. So hopefully, I'm not crossing the line when I do do it, do that during the CFL season. Right. But I don't want to take a couple little snippets of video involving San Jose fans and try to turn that into some, you know, where I'm putting them all down. Uh, I was I was surprised that DeBoer <laughs> did that to the fan because I think as a coach you get, and a, as a player in the NHL you got to get used to things like that. So I was a little surprised by it, but I'm not going to sit here and say Peter DeBoer is a bad human being because of that. And I don't know what the fan was saying. I mean, he could have crossed the line with his comments, but, but I mean, you got to be able to brush it off. I mean, you saw when you saw Kellen when Leon got kicked out of Game Four, right? He yep. had to walk down that tunnel. I mean, there were fans reaching right over, yelling at him. That's a narrow tunnel way too in San Jose. I think it's like one of the narrowest in the league. There's just room for one guy to walk to and from, right? So, you know, the fact that there'd be opposing fans, you know, trying to reach down and do the old uh, wrestling aisle way grab at the jersey. <laughs> well, or you know all right? about so, the wrestling maneuvers. Well, yeah, people always. <laughs> Stick their hands out, right? So, stuff, so. so yeah, and I mean, there and there was a story last week about a, a Oilers fan. I, I I don't know what happened to this, so I guess I'll call I'll call it an allegation. I don't know if there was ever an arrest or or a charge or anything like that, but an Oilers fan allegedly uh, punched a Sharks fan outside of an establishment downtown. So that, I mean, that's not good. And I don't I, I when I say stuff like that happens, I'm not saying it's acceptable. It's unfortunate, but I wouldn't want somebody looking into Edmonton from the outside and saying, well, all Edmonton fans are goons, and they just beat up the fans of the visiting team, because that's clearly not the case. Uh, The San Jose Sharks themselves, as an organization, had what I thought, and I didn't bring this up uh, prior to this, had, I thought, a very... uh, uh, What what would the word be? Unusual? A very sort of... uh, uninformed promotion their little wreck the rig thing where yeah. they had sharks swimming towards an oil rig right. of course edmonton being landlocked and not near an ocean 
The uh, oil, the 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 oil, uh, the the oil production. Yeah, we the oil we mining. Had... The, the oil is not drawn out of the ocean floor exactly. in uh, in Alberta. No, we and haven't you... had coastal water here in what sixty million years, something like that. I don't know. It's been a <laughs> while. Have to go back Dinosaurs probably but... roamed the earth. Yeah. So, so I thought, I, and I, look, it's it's it, it's fun, and they're trying to do an oil type thing, and they and they had to have sharks in the picture. If they would have used an oil derrick. Where's the shark? I guess it could have been fly, a flying shark, like Sharknado. Or land sharks, like, uh, <laughs> you know, the the Mad Max movies. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I wasn't going to make too big a deal about that. But the rig is fine. Uh, this texture says, I heard Eric Carlson is playing with two hairline fractures. Yes, uh, Senator's defenseman Eric Carlson, a couple of hairline fractures in his, in his heel. Uh, Chris says, I like all old-school announcers that do play-by-play like Bob Cole. I think that's awesome. And he's in his 80s. Yeah, Bob Cole's still, still going strong. Uh, Thomas says, okay, burn a flag, throw a jersey on the ice, whatever. Dump a perfectly good bucket of popcorn on the ice? We got a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's like... Uh, It's like when a when the when a guy at a baseball game will catch a foul ball in his beer and people get upset. How could you waste your beer? Well, I guess not waste the beer because you could take the ball out and still drink the beer. Though just the splash effect is going to waste some of the beer, and probably there could be a hygiene concern there with a baseball, <laughs> with the baseball adding in your beer. Have you seen Have you seen what most pitchers area of their bodies pitchers touch and scratch before they pitch? And then you're and then you're drinking the beer with that. Uh, anyway, uh, Michael says, uh, "Reed, I don't get why people poo-poo on an eighteen million dollar checking line." Let's face it: Nugent Hopkins, Everly, Lucic, Drysital, Pouliot are all playing against high defensive pairings. Most teams only have two lines and are easier to contain. The Oilers have uh, four lines. Well, their four lines have looked pretty good. I mean, I think DeHarnay and Pouliot and Slepyshev had had a good finish to the series. That helped. I think Latestu and Cassian have been uh, consistent. They've had both Kajula and Maroon on the wing. By the way, Maroon would not surprise me to see him back on McDavid's and Dreisaitl's wing for Game 1 against Anaheim. They, they had... The way they practice today is they had, well, what, three lines with four guys and one line with three guys, so there was some, some mix and match. But I, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Maroon back up on that line just because, uh, you know, uh, obviously you got a bigger team in Anaheim. And Kajula kind of had one game and one one good game, one quieter game going up to that line. I think Maroon ultimately belongs there. This texture says, do you think the Nuge line can shut down the Getzlaff line? Uh, I do. I, I think that line is capable of checking against almost any line. Uh, I think, you know, Lucic has a physical presence. I, I know there are a lot of Jordan Eberle haters out there. I do think he's playing a more resilient, tighter checking game lately. The challenge for the Oilers is going to be face-offs. And if you never have the puck, it's hard to shut down a team for, for long term. Quick timeout, then we'll bring in Hall of Famer Brian Trotche. Pleased to welcome to Inside Sports six-time Stanley Cup champion, Hockey Hall of Famer, Brian Trotche. Brian, how are you doing? Good, Reed. Thank you. It's always fun to get on with the hockey fans. Yeah, no kidding. And you got to mingle with some fans in uh, in Sherwood Park this weekend. Uh, how, how did it uh, go at the, the Summit Show? You like doing stuff like that? 
Well, it's a lot more fun now than it was in the 80s. Holy cow, we'd come into Edmonton and they'd, they'd want us to get out of town. Like we didn't leave our Oilers alone. Now they're, now they're friendly. They'd say, hey, Brian, good to see you. Welcome back. I'm like, oh, how times have changed. But, you know, it was just a wonderful time to be playing hockey in the 80s against these Oilers and, uh, you know, the great rivalry we had. And, you know, so, um, yeah, it's always fun to reminisce. Well, that, that's good. So, yeah, you, you've become a lot more popular in retirement than you were as a player. You probably find that everywhere you go, eh? <laughs> oh, that, that's so true. But it's uh, it's really great. The hockey fans are awesome, and they're very passionate, and we, we, we know that. Um, we recognize that coming into town and, and just being part of hockey history, I think uh, that's what the fans really appreciate. And you tell them stories. You share a couple of uh, couple anecdotes about their Oilers or something that happened on the ice and uh, I'll tell you it's uh, you're embraced I mean that's really the fun part for me I'm from western Canada it's my roots so I feel like I'm coming home I got lots of family in and around Edmonton area so uh, you know yeah no it's uh, it's it's fun to to bounce around with the uh, the hockey fans across Canada how how you how do you enjoy round one of the playoffs? I mean, you, you got to be uh, you got to be in the Edmonton area when the Oilers clinched on uh, on on Saturday night. What were your impressions of that victory over the Sharks, Brian? Oh, oh just very very impressed with the hockey in general. Like all the series were just very very good hockey, um, fast paced, intense, great goaltending, lots of scoring chances. Um, special teams, whether it's penalty killing one night, power play the next night. Um, the high-end guys are flying out there. Um, you're getting, you're, I think the Oiler team is getting great experience, um, having some success now against the Sharks. I think they can, they can learn from that. I think, uh, you know, they're, they're recognizing that they're, they're certainly capable team. Um, so, uh, no, I, I, I wish them great success. I mean, it's, it's fun to see the Canadian teams doing well. You mentioned the the pace of the games, and that's one thing a lot of people talk about. Brian is 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 just how fast paced the hockey is is now. I guess compared to even fifteen or, or or twenty years ago, is that what stands out the most to you as the changes since uh, you were a player, or maybe is it something else you would put your finger on? Well, no, without a doubt. I mean, every player is fast. Like they might not have great puck skills, or they might not be power play specialists. Um, great goal scorer but they can skate uh they're just all just terrific skaters they have no clunky defensemen out there there's no chuggy chuggy <laughs> defensemen or or forwards uh you know they're they're not allowed to like uh grab on snow ski through neutral zone so it, it's fast out there and i'm really impressed with it i mean mike bossy had the best the best line this past spring when he when he called like David, the fastest human being he's ever seen on a pair of skates, and it's so true. He makes the fastest defenseman in the league look slow. He's got another gear, and it's, it's really fun to see that the uh, the hockey generations are improving all the time, and these kids that are coming in are high-skilled. They play the game at a high level, um, entertaining. Um, so, no, my hat's off to him. God bless him. Yeah, Brian, you, Brian Trache joining us tonight. You, you referenced uh, the Oilers getting some playoff experience here, and they were even staying in the dressing room today. It's like what they were saying, well, we got six more games than we did two weeks ago, so we just got to keep building. When you look back on those Islanders teams that eventually won four Stanley Cups in a row, um, I mean, I know you guys had some good regular seasons with some playoff disappointments before you finally won the Cup, didn't you? Oh, absolutely, and it's a learning curve. Like you, you got to learn how to win. And losing teaches you that. Unfortunately, you got to lose a little bit in order before you win. 
but they've had lots of losing years here in Edmonton, unfortunately. But I think overall, they're on a, they're on a fast pace going up. And I think if as long as everybody keeps expectations in the realm of reality, I think the team's going to be fine. I think they've got great leadership. They've got good coaching. Um, I think they're. Like I said, I believe the experience they're gaining from the playoffs is going to help them this year, next year, every year going forward. I mean, they've got lots of different players contributing. That's always great to see on any team. Uh, they're playing. Uh, they're, they're playing a pace that they they, they look extremely comfortable playing. Um, so that all all things taken in consideration, I think they're just going to grow. Brian, I mean, you you were a star player yourself. I mean, you had several hundred point seasons, um, and, and you mentioned you played with Mike Bossy, and and then you later in your career you played with Mario Lemieux, who's, who's one of the greatest of all time. There's been a lot of discussion with McDavid now in Edmonton about the checking that he'll face, the abuse sometimes that he is going to have to face. So I've been getting a lot of opinions on this. How do you look at? The, the, what a star player has to face and how, what's the balance between maybe sometimes your teammates have to come to your defense whether it's McDavid, Lemieux or Bossy and how much does a star player just kind of have to suck up and accept that he's going to have to figure out himself well I think most of the players and uh, you know I've talked to them all whether it's coaching or, or playing with them or against them whatever but you all expect, everybody expects to be checked and that's just part of the game. And um, I'm sure um, Connor McDavid's been um, has had a, a big taste of it his whole life. Um, and he's had to, you know, suck it up at times. He's probably had to fight through it at times. And he's probably had to stick up for himself at times. And it's all part and parcel of, of, of growing and recognizing when he's when he can defend himself, when he gets to fight through. And he's going to learn that. And uh, like I said, he's on a fast pace. He's on a fast curve, and, I, and and you can see that he's his growth has just been impressive to say the least. I mean, he's um, I mean he's a very young kid. He's a young leader. You look at the young Crosby, where you know he he did they don't win all you know just as soon as they come into the league like Yager did for two years. But what happens is like they have to find a way to like you know find that uh, what I call the Mark Messier. Um, cruise control so that they know how to ramp it up when to go back to cruise control when to ramp it up when to go back in cruise control so they can maintain a level that's just right above everybody else's and still you know have one gear left that nobody else has and uh it's impressive when you see guys like lemieux and bossy and gretzky and and guys of that era that still perform and and contribute and and they're getting checked every night and uh you know, young McDavid and the Crosbys and the Canes and the Taves and all this generation—they're they're learning that. They're learning about it too. When you look back on your career, was there a guy that either you were trying to shut down or was maybe trying to shut you down that you look back and you knew when you were going into a game with them, where you thought this is going to be a battle? This is a guy that isn't going to going to go away. And I got my hands full. And those are the games you love. That's those are the games I loved the most. Was the games that I came out of the out of, and I'd say that was sixty minutes battle. I'm exhausted. I hope the other guys as exhausted as I am because I feel like I've got nothing left in the tank. And those were the very most fun games you could possibly play because they brought the best out of you. They brought the best out of the guy you're going up against. That's why I enjoy playing against like Daryl Sittler and Mark Messi. You know, every faceoff is going to be a battle. You know that every corner, every front of the net, every every loose puck every like 
both ends of the ice, y'all, you know, 200 feet was going to be, you have to pay attention or, you know, you're going to be knocked on your butt or you maybe like get the chance to knock him on his butt. And that's just really part of, of playing against the very, very best and bringing out the very best in everybody. But those are the games you enjoy the most. And, um, yeah, you have a, you have a, a night where you, oh yeah, points up the old wazoo and then nobody's hitting you that kind of those are fun too but those those games when you come out and you're exhausted and you've won obviously <laughs> those are those are the fun games all right and one more for you brian you mentioned yarmir yager um would you have ever have thought that he'd still be playing uh, you knew him as a rookie back uh, 27 years ago <laughs> no 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 one no one ever believes that someone's going to play into their 40s um, you know, Gordy Howe's come along every once in a while, but you see the Chelios, the defenseman. Now you see a, a forward like like Yager uh, playing into his mid forties. It's very impressive. But the game has kind of helped him. His style of game has helped him uh, in his career. He's not he's not out there throwing body checks. He's not absorbing a lot of body checks. He's he's a tough guy to hit. He's a big man. Um, you know, he prides himself in his conditioning and he prides himself on how he, he plays the game and the style of game he plays and who he plays with. I mean, he, he, it's wonderful to see. I, I love the kid when he was 19. I love the kid when he's 45. He'll be a kid to me, you know, because he's so much younger, but um, it's impressive. And, you know, the teams are utilizing him well. He paces himself. He, you know, he finds the, the, the right guys to play with, and uh, so it's uh, so it's part of, like everybody, everybody, everybody's uh, he's getting utilized very smart. I, I think it's wonderful because he's uh, he's still contributing. He's he's putting up good points, and um, you know he's 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 part of the offense every night. Yeah, he's a marvel for sure. But Brian, I know you're busy. I really appreciate you checking in on 6.30, Ched, tonight. Uh, thanks again for uh, all the fans you, you met in Edmonton and area over the last couple of days. I hope we can do this again. Enjoy the rest of the postseason. Oh, please, yeah, stay in touch. It's always fun, Reed. Thank you. Hockey legend Brian Trotche. Inside Sports Scoreboard for Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. Raptors beat Milwaukee 108, uh, 118, I should say, 93. They lead the series 3-2. Thanks to our studio producer, Kellen Kennedy. This has been Inside Sports on Chad. Have- 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.